And I said last night that the secret of good Bible study is simply knowing what? How to ask the right kind of questions. That's all it is. And tonight we're going to look at a method that is really a lot of fun. I think that this is probably one of my favorite. Uh, I like the character method and I like the thematic. They're probably my two favorite methods of Bible study because uh, they involve you getting to choose the kind of questions you want to ask. Now, when you were in the third grade, you learned the six journalistic questions. Who, what, when, why, where, how, and why. Very good. With those simple six words, you can ask a limitless number of questions about any particular text in the Scripture. Now, what you do in a thematic Bible study is you take those questions, those words, and determine in advance the questions you want to ask about a particular topic. A thematic study is a limited topical study. Uh, you decide only a certain number of questions to ask, and you only ask those questions. So it's shorter than a topical study, which means it's a good thing to do if you want to preview a large topic. Many times you will have a number of themes in a large topic. For instance, you might have the topic of prayer, but in the, in the whole topic of prayer, if you study that, you'll study it the rest of your life. So you might narrow it down to the conditions for prayer. That's a theme. Answers for prayer. That's a theme. The prayers of Paul. That's a theme. The prayers of David. That's a theme. The prayers of Thanksgiving. That's a theme. And so you, a, a, a thematic method is simply a limited topical study. And it's a very easy method. I can teach it to you in about five minutes. And we're going to do one tonight that I think will be a lot of fun. The reason why you um, limit the number of questions is because in any theme in the Bible, you may have 100, 200, 300 or more references about that theme. For instance, uh, I remember a number of years ago, my wife decided she was going to do a Bible study on the phrase, the hand of the Lord. And so she looked up the word hand in the concordance and found all the times the word hand of the Lord was used, and it was used 210 times in the Scripture. Now, if you look up all 210 verses just on that one minor theme, and you ask a limitless number of questions, you will never get through your study. You'll get bored halfway through it, and you'll quit. So I suggested what you need to do, Kay, I said, is do a thematic study. Ask yourself, what do you want to know about it? She said, well, I want to know what does the hand of the Lord represent? How does he use his hand symbolically? And what are the results of the hand of the Lord in my life? Well, that is a limited study. Now, that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take a theme. Particularly, we're going to talk about the Christian mind tonight. And we're going to look at these scriptures. There are a lot of uh, references in the Bible. And here are the steps to a thematic study. Okay? Number one, you simply choose a theme. You choose a theme. And what do you choose? Well, you just choose something you're interested in. Let's say you choose the theme of, um, of love or the, or the theme of faith. Now, if you choose a theme like faith, you've got a lot of verses to look up. So I would suggest in your first attempts at a thematic Bible study that you choose a, a limited theme. And then the next step you do is you list all of the verses related to that theme. Now, how do you get all of the verses related to that theme? Well, what you do is this. You make a list of all of the words that you can think of related to the theme. For instance, if we were going to study, like we're going to study tonight, the Christian mind, 
What are some words that might re relate to the Christian mind, besides the word mind? Meditation might be a good word. What? What? Thought. Thought's an excellent word. Attitude. Heart. Might be a good word. You start looking up some of these scriptures, and you'll come up with words like helmet. So what in the world is that talking about? Well, we're going to look at that in a little bit. But you make a list of the words related to the theme that you're talking about. How do you get those, how do you get those references? By a concordance. You get a concordance, and you look up all the words, and you list them down on your form. Now, if you've got a long theme, you're going to have to use two or three forms. The next step that you do is you select the questions that you want to ask about that theme. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Sometimes you can have a thematic study with just one question. Like you might want to just say, what are the characteristics of a wise man in the book of Proverbs? Read through the whole book and answer that question. That's a thematic study. What are the characteristics of a fool in Proverbs? Read through the book of Proverbs, answer that question. A one question study. Don't use too many questions. If you use too many questions, I would say the maximum you should use is, are five questions. And it's really better if you can use two or three related to a particular theme. Find out what you want to answer the most. If you're going to do a, a study on, say, anger, you might want to say, what are the characteristics of anger? What causes anger? What are the results of anger? What's the cure for anger? Okay? Just a simple questions about that particular theme. You select the questions. Then the next step you do is you answer the questions. And the way you answer the questions are like this. Here's, here's an example that's in the book on Jesus' definition of the word disciple. You know, a lot of times people say, well, is, is, uh, is a disciple everybody who's a Christian? Or is a disciple somebody who's kind of a more mature Christian? Or is a disciple something else? Well, the fact is the word disciple is used four different ways in the, in the New Testament. Sometimes it just refers to uh, any follower of a general person, like the disciples of the Pharisees, the disciples of uh, John the Baptist. Sometimes it refers to just Christians in general. It says it was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. In the book of Acts, the word disciple is synonymous with Christian. It just means the same thing. Christian equals disciple. But when you talk about the way Jesus used the word, you find out that he lays out some specific conditions for uh, the use of the term disciple. And so the theme was Jesus' definition of a disciple. What did we do? We listed the major references about how Jesus used the word. And then the questions we would decided to ask, A, what are the characteristics of a disciple? And B, what are the results of being a disciple? That's the only thing we wanted to ask. Then what you do is you go down the form, you write out the scripture reference, Matthew 10, 24, and 25, and then you ask the question, A, what are the characteristics of a disciple? Well, in this scripture, you answer it, you write the answer out along, A, a disciple will be like Christ, his master. What are the results of being a disciple? B, he should expect to be treated as Christ was by the world. Then you go to the next verse. Scripture reference, Luke 14. A, a disciple gives supreme love to Christ and bears his cross and follows Christ. You're asking the question A, and you write the answer in blank A. Then B, what are the results of disciple? B, no answer given. You're not always going to get an answer to every question. That's okay. When you don't get an answer, just skip it. Go on to the next verse. Now, what if you are, are asking, you, you, you think up a theme, and uh, you're, you're asking a question, and you're not getting any answers at all. You know, like you're, you're studying the theme of heaven. One of your questions is, uh, 
are we going to eat tacos in heaven? And, and you start reading the scripture, and you're not finding the answer to that question. What does it tell you? Something real simple. Change your question. And you start fitting. It's okay in the middle of your study to go back and change your question to fit the answers that you're getting. Okay? There's no law that says you have to keep with that, that question if you're not getting the answers to it. So, that's the next step. You, you write out the reference, or you don't have to write it out, but just uh, put, the, put the reference scripture there, and then answer your questions A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, all the way down. So that's the step of answering the questions. You choose a theme, whatever you want. You list the verses about that theme, finding the verses in the concordance, all the words related to the theme. You select your questions in advance, and then you just go down, you look up each scripture, and answer the question. See how simple it is? You don't have to have a whole lot of tools with this. All you have to have is a concordance. Answer the questions. Then step five is you draw a conclusion. You go back over the list of all your questions and all your answers and draw some conclusions. For instance, in this study on a disciple, characteristics that I discovered. A disciple is like Christ, gives supreme love to Christ, bears up his cross and follows Christ, gives all, up all to follow Christ, continually abides in Christ's word, he loves others, he bears fruit. And the results? He should expect persecution, he knows the truth and he's set free, he brings glory to God, and others notice that he belongs to Christ. It's just a simple conclusion. You summarize what you've learned. Last step, write an application. Remember, in every method, thank you, in every method, the final step is application. And an application ought to be personal, what else? Possible, practical, and provable. Right. And so you write out an application about that particular um, text. Here's the application. Based on John 8, 31 and 32, I will establish a regular daily quiet time in the Word starting tomorrow. That personal, practical, possible, and provable. Based on John 13, 34 and 35, I will demonstrate love for the person in my Sunday school class who irritates me by asking his family to come to dinner this next week. That's personal, practical, possible, and provable. All right, you just get it out of the vagueness and you get it into the practical aspects of life. It is a very, very simple method, but it's a lot of fun. You choose a theme, select the verses, select the questions, answer the questions, draw the conclusions, and write out an application. Very simple. Now, we're going to study the, the Christian mind tonight. And I believe you've already been given a copy of the, uh, the page in the concordance that lists the word mind. Now, I knew you would not have enough time to look up all of the other words related to the Christian mind tonight. So you only have that one. I would encourage you to go look up the other words and do an exhaustive study of the Christian mind. How we are to think as believers. Now, were you also given a sheet about uh, the word repentance? No? You weren't. Okay. Well, the word repentance is the word metanoia, which means literally to change your mind. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, if we were going to do a study of the Christian mind, what are some things, 
some questions that we might ask using who, what, when, where, why, and how. Somebody want to volunteer a question? What are we, what are we supposed to think about? Okay. How about another one? How do we control our mind? How do you deal with bad thoughts? Whose mind should we have? The results of controlling your mind. Mind during sleep, okay. What else? Excuse me? What's the difference between a Christian and a carnal mind? Any others? If you, if you just went down, let's just take these words, okay? Who? Make up a question with the word who regarding the Christian mind. Who has a Christian mind? That's one way, okay. All right? How about what? What is a Christian mind? <laughs> Boy, you guys are smart. I thought you were tired tonight, but I can tell you're sharp. Real sharp. Okay, what about where? Where is a Christian mind? <laughs> where did your mind go? Okay, what about why? What? <laughs> Boy, I tell you. I can tell you're all seniors. All right. When? I knew I shouldn't have asked that question. If you were to take each of those words, you would find that you could develop any number of questions with any of those words. There's always more than one question that you can use each word with. It's just the way you choose to phrase it. Now tonight, I want us to look at this theme. And uh, we're going to look at the scripture references that you have right there. I'm going to suggest that you start with the New Testament. Okay? So, go down your list. And underline the very first reference to the Christian mind. You see that? Where it is uh, the New Testament, the very first one. Skip the Old Testament references at this point. And once you've found that, underline that. And that will be your starting point. Now, there are a number of good questions you could ask about this theme, but tonight we're going to ask two. So I'm going to ask you to write these two questions down on your form. If the, if the text that you read does not answer either one of these questions, do not write it on your form. All right? Two questions we're going to answer tonight are, what types of mind are described in the New Testament. What types of mind are described in the New Testament? And the second question is likened to this. What am I to do with my mind? What am I to do with my mind? And tonight, I want you to just begin looking at those verses of Scripture, 
If you get an answer to A or B, write it down. And just go through those New Testament scriptures looking for the answers to those two questions. And we'll start on a thematic study tonight. Okay. You're probably not finished, but um, let's all stand up and stretch. I'm just sensualist anyway. <laughs> I hope you will go back and, and, and look up the other words related to the theme of the Christian mind. I cannot think of a topic more important to Christians today. Now tonight, I want us to uh, just look at a summary of some of the verses. I, I really don't have a a message that I want to deliver to you. I, I just want to kind of summarize some basic truths. I know you're real tired tonight, but uh, I want to just share with you a couple of three things. I'll be briefer, but I, what I want to share with you, I think, is probably the most important thing that I could share with you if you are a Christian. And they're just some basic statements that I hope you'll write down. These are just some, some general truths that if we had time, we could go all through these verses about the mind and, and see how they are taught through Scripture. The number one question that people ask me when they come for counseling is this question. How can I change? How can I change? There is a habit in my life that I just cannot change. I don't know how to get victory over it. There is an area of my life I don't know how to get control of. How do I change that which seems to be unchangeable? The secret is in understanding what the Bible teaches about your mind. And I want to just give you a couple of three statements, talk about them, and then we'll close. Number one, the Bible teaches very clearly that our thoughts determine the way we feel. And the way we feel determine the way we act. Now, that's taught all through Scripture. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. So he is. Your thoughts determine your feelings. Your feelings determine your actions. If you act shy, it's because you feel shy. And if you feel shy, it's because you think shy thoughts. If you throw things around your dorm room, it's because you feel angry. And you feel angry because you are thinking angry thoughts. Now, it is easier to think your way into an action than it is to feel your way into an action. We're going to talk about that. Second truth, if we had time to go through and study all these scriptures in mind, you would discover this. You cannot always control your emotions. But you can control the way you think. You cannot control your emotions all the time, but you can control the way you think. Uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in Hollywood on a Sunday evening. We don't have evening service in our church, and we had gone to visit a church up in that area. Pulled into a gas station, and my wife was sitting in the front seat, and she said, Oh, it's not. It is. It is. Look who that is. Well, I didn't know who it was. And it was uh, one of the stars of this show on television, Falcon Crest. Uh, David... Uh, something. Anyway, my wife starts saying, she really liked this guy. And she said, uh, man, look at that guy. And I said, hey, you want me to go get his autograph? Oh, no, no, no. Let's just get out of here. She got all embarrassed. 
I said, hey, there's nothing to it. I rolled up and I rolled down my window. I said, hey, I know who you are. You're David Selby. Do you know where a good Mexican restaurant is around here? He goes, well, sure, just right down the street. And all, all the whole time, my wife was over in the front seat just dying of embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. We drove off for the next 30 minutes. She was embarrassed. Now, why? Why was her reaction so that way? Because it was the way she was thinking about the situation. And your thoughts determine the way you feel. Now, you cannot always control your emotions, but you can control the way you think. An example of this is where the Bible talks about Jesus commands us to love your neighbor as yourself. Love, folks, is more than a feeling. If love was a feeling, Christ could not command it. Because you can't always command a feeling. It's like you're real down and you're real discouraged. You say, I will be happy, I will be happy. Or if I tell my kids, I spank them on the bottom and say, now, cheer up. <laughs> I demand you to cheer up. I'm trying, I'm trying. You just can't force a feeling. You know that doesn't work. But you can control the way you think. And if you change that, you change the way you feel. Do you remember the, the 12 spies when they went into the promised land and they came back? Ten of the spies said, we can't do it. Two of them said, we can. The, the majority report was negative. And there's an interesting phrase in the book of Numbers that says there, we saw ourselves as what? Grasshoppers. You talk about a poor self-image. You know? I preached on Blessed of the Meek last week. You know, uh, you heard about the guy who said, you know, I can imagine when the meek inherit the earth. That'll be the day. He said, I'm going to go up and say, who owns the earth? We do. <laughs> well, give it back. Okay. <laughs> you know, folks, that's not what meekness means at all. I mean, it really means strength under control, but we don't have time to get into word study on that. But um, the fact is, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And what they said is, we think we can't do it, so we feel we can't do it, and as a result, we can't. The person who says, I can, and the person who says, I can't, are both right. They are both right. Now, the key to personal growth in your Christian life is to accept responsibility for the way you think. And the third statement I'd like to share with you is this. The way to change your life is to change your thoughts. The way to change your life is to change your thoughts. In Romans 12, 2, we're going to look at this tonight, the Bible says, be transformed. Would you like to be transformed? Would you like to change some things about your life you cannot change right now? The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Mind. You know what the word there is in the Greek? Metamorphosis I dare you to say that. And what's a metamorphosis? It's when a, when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And what he's saying is, man, let your mind be revolutionized. Let it be metamorphosized. And the way to change your life is to change your thoughts. Now let me just give you a little illustration on this, and then we're going to talk about some, some scriptures and look them up together. Here, here's an example of a boat. My spiritual gift is not art. And this boat is heading north, and it's on automatic pilot, and it's heading north. Now, let's say all of a sudden in the middle of the, of the trip, you decide you want to make that boat go south, all right? You want to force it to go south. How do you do it? Well, one of the ways is to grab a hold of this little steering wheel and 
manually force it to go south. And you start heading south. And you're forcing it to go south by sheer willpower. Now, the whole time you're holding on to that, that uh, steering wheel, how do you feel? You feel tense. Because there's tension. It naturally wants to go north. You are forcing it to go south. And, and you're, you're under tension. And pretty soon, after a while, you get tired of that. And you know what you do? You let go of the wheel. And what happens? It turns right back around and heads north. Now, some of you have tried to use willpower to change your life. And folks, it doesn't work. For an extended period of time. It will for a short period. You can force yourself around and go on the diet. And you go that way by sheer willpower, but after two or three weeks, you get tired and you give up and you go right back to pigging out. You say, I'm going to get in shape. And you can force yourself to start jogging and this kind of thing. But after a while, you pretty soon you get tired and you give up and willpower goes away and you go right back because the automatic pilot wants to go that way. The only way to change that boat significantly for life is to change the automatic pilot. And the automatic pilot in your life are your thoughts, your mind, the way you think about yourself. If I were to ask you to complete this sentence ten times, it's just like me to be. Complete that ten times, and I'll tell you what your automatic pilot is. It's just like me to be lazy. It's just like me to be late for BSU. It's just like me to be on time. It's just like me to be outgoing. It's just like me to be shy. It's just like that is your automatic pilot. And the fact is, the Bible teaches that the way to change your life is to change your thoughts. There's a book out by Charlie Shedd. I haven't read it, but I really like the title. It's on dieting. And the title of it is called, The Fat is in Your Head. <laughs> I really liked it because we force ourselves to do something, but if we say, you know, it's really like me to be overweight, you're setting yourself up. I wish we had time to go into every one of these verses you looked at tonight. There's so much truth in these verses. Now tonight, what I want to talk to you about for just a minute, Romans 12.2 in the Phillips translation says, let God remold your mind from within. I want to give you some practical steps, five practical steps on how to change your life. Five practical steps on how to change your life by changing the way you think. Number one. Let's look up Ephesians 6.17. Ephesians 6.17. I'd like to ask somebody to just stand up and read it. Okay? Ephesians 6.17. A little sword drill. Who gets it first? Okay. All right. Okay, Paul is talking about we're in a spiritual battle for our lives. Do you know God and the devil work in our lives the same way? They only have one way to work in our lives, by suggesting ideas. When the devil suggests an idea, we call it temptation. When God suggests an idea, we call it inspiration. But they both suggest ideas to us. Now, the first thing that you need to do, the Bible says, is put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. What does a helmet protect? What part of your body? 
your head, your mind. And until you are a Christian, you don't have protection against a lot of false ideas. Put on the helmet of salvation. The word repent, the Bible says, is the key. It's the way that we become Christians. Repent and be converted. And the word repent in the Greek is the word metanoia. It literally means change your mind. And you start by becoming a Christian by changing your mind. Metanoia. When I became a Christian, I changed my mind about a lot of things. I changed my mind about God. I used to see Him as a, as a wrathful judge. And now I see Him as my loving Heavenly Father. I, I changed my mind about myself. I used to think I can make it on my own. I'm self-sufficient. Now I see I need Christ in my life on a daily basis. I changed my mind about the world. I changed my mind about other people. And God transformed my mind. I put on the helmet of salvation. That's the protection for your mind. Starting point, become a Christian. That's the starting point. Otherwise, you don't have power to make the changes you want to make. Number two, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Whoever's got that, stand up and read it. Okay? That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit, and that you renew in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is, which is the likeness of God which has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Okay, thanks. It says here, the second step is first put on the helmet of salvation. Number two, renew your mind. It says be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he says, it's like putting on and putting off clothes. He says, you know, take off your old dirty clothes and put on some clean clothes. And then he says, that's like what it means to be a Christian. Take off your old dirty ideas and put on some new ideas. Put off those old negative attitudes. Put on some new Christ-like attitudes. Take off those old thought patterns. Put on some new thought patterns. Be renewed in your mind. The word there in the Greek, anakinosis, literally means to be changed gradually in the way that you think. That's what it means, to be changed gradually in the way that you think. And it's, it's not a passive word, it's an, it's an active word, which means you participate. You don't just stand there and let God change the way you think, but you actually choose to think differently. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Constantly. It is a continual, gradual conforming. How is your mind changed? It's changed by filling it with the Word of God. Psalm 119.9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Ephesians 5.26 talks about the washing of the water of the Word. There was a guy, when I was a youth director in Norwalk, California, one day we were having a service outside. He walked by, he was your typical hippie. Real long hair. This was years and years ago. I was playing the guitar. He stopped, listened to the service. At the end of the service, he committed his life to Christ. Now, Charlie had taken so many drugs, he was, related, he was, he was reduced to one-word vocabulary. Wow. Anything you asked him. Hey, Charlie, how's it going? Wow. What are you going to do next week? Wow. You know, and that's the only thing he could say. It's just it's a vegetable. During the next four weeks, every member on our staff took the Word of God and sat him down and read the Bible to him constantly as this Word of God began to cleanse and rebuild his thought patterns. Now, Charlie, today, he's still never going to be sharp as a tack. But at least he can communicate on a human level again. And God began to renew his mind, to put off those old thought patterns 
and to put on new thought patterns. Now turn to Romans 12, one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 gives us the next step, and it says there, Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now it's not only talking about just renewing it, but have your mind transformed. That's the next step. Transform the renewing of your mind. And it says here that we do three things. How do you transform your mind? You do three things. Number one, reject. It says don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. What's he talking about? He's not talking about the way you dress. He's not saying, you know, if the world wears blue, you wear green. If the world eats hot dogs, you eat hamburgers. He's not talking about that. He's saying, be different in the way that you think. In the way that you think about life. Be different in your values, in your attitudes. Reject the world's thinking. That's what he's saying. Reject the world's thinking. Then the next thing he says is, replace it. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Replace it with good thoughts. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you, how do you replace it? Turn back to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. Hold your place in Romans 12. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 8. Here's what you replace it with. You reject the negative, you, you reject the world standard of thinking. What's the world standard of thinking? Yeah, right. The world says, if it feels good, do it. God says, don't have anything to do with that kind of thinking. The world says, live for yourself. Look out for number one. God says, don't have anything to do with that kind of thinking. The world says, man, you fill your mind with anything you want to fill it with. God says, don't have anything to do with that kind of thinking. Instead, he always says reject, and then he always follows up a negative with a positive. He says replace, be conformed, be transformed. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us the eight things that we are to replace the negative in the world with. Instead, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and that sounds like the evening news, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Whatever is lovely, rapes, crimes, murders, no. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God says, I want you to think about those kind of things instead of negative. He says, reject and replace. And that's how you transform your mind. You reject. Let me give you three things that you ought to reject. Or two things you ought to reject and then one thing you ought to replace it with. First thing, you ought to reject what I call poison. That's the kind of material that no Christian has any business reading or watching. Pornography, occult, negative things that are atheistic, tearing down, detrimental. 
poison. You don't have any business listening or reading or hearing those things. Now, you've heard people say, but you know, Rick, we need to read and study the way the other side thinks so we'll know how to relate to them. Anytime somebody tells you that, you just quote to them Romans 16, 19, which says, my brothers, I said, I want you to be innocent concerning evil. Wise to that which is good, but innocent concerning that which is evil. God doesn't want you to know about those kind of things. You know, the, the bank tellers at the Federal Reserve Bank, in order to teach them counterfeit, they don't say, now here's a counterfeit bill, study it so you'll know it. No, they don't teach them that. What they do is they give them real bills and they memorize those brand new, genuine thing bills from cover to cover and they know the real thing. So what happens? When something false comes along, they know it instantly. Why? Because they know the truth. Now, as a Christian, you don't have to go study all of the wrong ideas in the world. What you do need to know is what's the truth. Because then when somebody comes along with the wrong idea, you say, yeah, but Jesus said, and you instantly identify it for what it is. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the freest people I know are those who have filled their mind with the truth rather than error. And that's what he's saying here. Fill your mind with whatever things is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Think on those kind of things. So, reject poison. Number two, you ought to reject what I call stuffing. That's the second thing you can fill your mind with. Now, stuffing is just stuff. You know, it's neither good nor bad. It's just kind of there, you know? A lot of TV programs, they're just stuff. They're not good, they're not bad, they're just there. Uh, a lot of uh, magazine articles you know, are just stuff. They're not good, they're not bad, they're, they're just there. But you know, some things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. Now, I'm not saying you should never sit down and relax and watch a TV show. I'm not saying that at all. Sometimes you ought to do that. I don't have any desire to read the Bible. And my first question to them is, how much do you watch TV? Because if you're filling your mind with stuffing, you know, it doesn't matter if you sit down to a steak dinner. If you've eaten 50 hamburgers that day, you're not going to want it. Because you've stuffed yourself with things that satisfied you, and therefore you're not ready for the real full course, the Word of God. If you don't have a hunger for the Word of God, what are you filling your mind with in terms of music or reading or whatever? Go back to Romans 12. Romans 12, he says, I want you to transform your life by the renewing of your mind. And he says, reject the negative. Don't be conformed to the world's pattern of thinking. Replace it with a positive. He said, be transformed. But notice here, he says, by the renewing of your mind. And again, we see that word, and the word is I-N-G. That is a continual, continuing participle. And what he's saying is here, is not only just do it one time, but reinforce it. Reinforce it. Reject the negative. Replace it with a positive. Reinforce it on a continual basis. Now, how do you reinforce it? 
Let's go back to a verse that I'm sure you all know. You ought to have it memorized. Joshua 1, 8. The great promise of success in the Bible. Joshua 1, 8 tells us the key how to reinforce the positive in our lives. Joshua 1, 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but what? Meditate on it day and night. Alright? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now notice he says here, you are to do, you are to meditate on it day and night. What's he saying? Constantly. Constantly reinforce the positive in your life and watch your life be changed. You want to change your life? Change your thoughts. And meditate on the Word of God and watch what happens in your life. Now, what I would suggest you do is this. I suggest you get some little cards. But more than just writing out a scripture verse, which many of you are doing, you are memorizing scripture, and I think that's great. But meditation is more than memorization. Meditation is taking the verse that you have memorized and personalizing it into an affirmation. All right? You, you take a verse and you put it in the first person and you, and you state, make a statement, an affirmation of what you want to see in your life. And write it on little cards and then just carry it around with you. And pull it out five or six times a day. You know, I taught on depression this morning. And uh, a number of years ago, I went through a major depression in my life. I was so discouraged. I was just ready to die. I, you know, I was too proud to commit suicide, so I said, you know, God, just kill me. And I was really discouraged, really, really depressed. And I began to study the Bible and began to see that the key to overcoming that depression in my life was to rebuild the thought patterns in my mind. So I took out some little cards, and I've got hundreds of Bible verses anyways memorized, so I didn't have to write those down, but I took them and wrote them in first-person present verses and began to quote those affirmations to myself based on scripture that I already had memorized. And I went over every night when I went to bed, I would pick up those cards and I would read them. The last thing I go before I go to sleep. I wake up in the morning. First thing I do, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd pull those cards out, I'd read them again. Three or four times a day I'd pull them out and read them. And I began to rebuild my life on that basis. And just so happens I have some in my pocket here because I carry them around with me at all times. Here's some of the things. I would start off each morning. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. I expect good things to happen to me. I enjoy making affirmations to the Lord regularly. Why did I say it? Because I didn't enjoy it. But that's what I wanted to do. And then I just wrote some down. Here's some on my spiritual life. Every day I'm growing more and more like Jesus Christ. And I just repeat that to myself. I enjoy having a quiet time of prayer and Bible reading in the morning. Get that one? That's a lot better than I should have a quiet time in the morning. God is working in my life and I expect the best. I am frequently aware of Christ's presence in my life as I go through the day. And I'd quote that over and over and over. Here's some on self-esteem. I'm an important and valuable person in God's eyes. 
I am a man of integrity. I love to tell the truth in love. I like myself and respect myself. Now, see, I have Bible verses memorized for every one of these. Here's one. Here's some on, uh, on just my uh, just general success in life. It's easy for me to be organized. I simply do first things first. Setbacks are always only temporary. I always bounce back quickly. That, that's no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back to sit to the kingdom of heaven. I am a success because I never, never, never give up. I just quote those things over and over. Here, here's some on my family. Let's see, where, where's my family ones? That's interpersonal relationships. Here's a family. I enjoy expressing love and appreciation to Kay, Amy, and Joshua. I look for ways to encourage Kay and to develop her potential. I talk to my family in ways which builds their self-esteem. Did I do that? When I started this car, no way. But God began to change my mind and transform it. I discipline Amy and Joshua with firmness, fairness, love, and consistency. Okay? And I'd remember those verses. Fathers, provoke not your children into wrath. See, I already had the verses memorized, but I appropriated them in, in a meditative form by making them first person, just like David did with the Psalms. I enjoy thinking up fun things to do with my family. Okay? Here's one. I feel, I feel great being in shape at 190 pounds. <laughs> at that time, I weighed 210. So I don't anymore. I have a deep confidence because I know I am God's man for this situation. Now, folks, I went over those kind of cards when I was in the pit of depression. And over a six-week period, I must have gone over these things hundreds and hundreds of times, and God rebuilt my mind. And I'll honestly testify to you today, you could ask my wife or anybody who knows me very well, I don't get depressed anymore. I am free because I know the truth. And it set me free. You want to change your life? Don't force the change. Begin to change. Let God remold your mind from within. That's what Philip says in Romans 12 too. All right, let's look at a couple of other scriptures real quickly and then we'll kind of wrap it up. 1 Peter 1.13. That's the next one. 1 Peter 1.13. Let's read this in two or three different translations. This is an interesting uh, passage. Somebody stand up and read it in the uh, New American Standard. Okay? Thank you. Gird up your minds for action. Somebody read it in um, King James. Anybody got a King James? Okay. Gird up the loins of your mind. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the fact that when the Roman soldiers used to go out to battle, they wore a loincloth. And when they got ready for battle, they would cinch it up in as much as tighten up your belt. Get ready for action. You're going into action. What he is saying here, when he says gird up your mind, he's saying don't let it be slack. That's the next step. Don't let your mind be slack. In other words, 
He's saying here, don't be careless in your thinking. After you began to let God remold your mind from within, don't be careless in your thinking. Have you ever heard that statement, an idle mind is the devil's workshop? This is why many of the transcendental meditation programs are wrong. Because they teach you to just put your mind in neutral, chant the name of a Hindu god, and, and, and anything can fill your mind. Paul or Peter says, don't let your mind be slack. Gird it up. Don't be careless in the kind of things. I'm amazed at what we as Christians allow to enter our minds. Now, there are some things you can't prevent because you're being bombarded constantly by billboards, by radio, by advertisement, by television, by jokes, by people talking around you. You can't control everything. But don't, just don't be, he's, not, he's saying don't be indiscriminate in the way you allow things to enter your mind. All right? He says the same thing over in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 3. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Look at that with me. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Paul says there, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Underline that. We take captive every thought. He says, man, we don't just allow our minds to be filled with anything. We take captive every thought. Why? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You sow a thought, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. The battle for sin is fought in your thought life, folks. And if the devil can get your attention, he's got you. We bring every thought into captivity. This means deliberately weighing every word and thought in light of God. You'd say, Lord, is this thought from you? And you ask for his insight and guidance. How do you change your life? Put on the helmet of salvation. Put off the old ideas and put on the new. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind by rejecting the world's value system and their thought life, replacing it with that which is positive and godly and true, and reinforcing it with meditation on a daily consistent basis then don't let your mind be slack. Don't be indiscriminate in the way that you think. And then finally, Romans 12, 21. Romans 12, 21. Very simple principle. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Last principle, very simple. Replace the evil with good. Replace the evil with good. Fill your mind with the Scriptures. Fill your mind with those thoughts which build up. Scripture says, let no negative conversation come out of your mouth, but only that which is edifying, that which is building up. 
You know, we've got a society that has built humor on put-downs. You know, that's a very popular form of humor. God says, that's not, that's not edifying conversation. That's a negative conversation. Replace the evil with good. Replace the negative with the positive. I wish I had time to really go into this tonight. We've just had a little overview of one of the most important themes of Scripture. If you are serious about changing your life, you will take serious the commands of Scripture to fill your mind with the Word of God, to personalize it in a form of meditation, pray it back to God. Focus not on what you are, but what you want to be. That's praying in faith. That's praying with the eyes of faith. And watch God change your mind. And as He changes your mind, it will change your life. If you'll just do that, just pick one area that you feel like you need to really work on. Get a scripture. Write it out in a personal affirmation. If that's all you want to do, it's just one at a time. Put it on a card. And every night before you go to bed, read that and think about it as you go to sleep. Visualize it in your mind. And every morning before you even get out of bed, read it. Think about it in your mind. And then several times a day, pull it out, read it, think about it in your mind. And in six to eight weeks, you will be a different person. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is so practical. It's so relevant to our daily lives. I thank you that when we want to make changes in our lives, you don't leave us helpless, but that you have given us the means by which we may be transformed, that we may be changed, that the things that we don't like about ourselves, the Holy Spirit can change as the Holy Spirit applies the Holy Word to our minds. Thank you. Lord, let us know the truth so that we might have a free lifestyle, that we might become what you want us to be, and what really in our hearts we want to be. Lord, help us to realize that just simply willpower will, will not make the difference, but that we need this application of your word to our lives. The Holy Spirit uses it to renew our minds. Lord, help us not to be indiscriminate in what we allow in our thought life. Help us to guard our thoughts, to bring every thought into captivity, to replace the evil with the good, the negative with the positive. And we know that as a result of that, we'll be more like Jesus. For we pray it in His name. Amen. I've enjoyed being with you here for a day and a half. I won't see most of you ever again, but uh, when we get up to the throne, you guys are all invited to a party over at Clark and my mansion, okay? <laughs> we're going to have a great time. Come on over, we'll sing a few thousand choruses. Spend a couple hundred million years together and, you know, really get to know each other. Okay? Have a good time. Thank you.